The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last chapter, the Heflin, Norm Smallborough, explains to the party how it is that he has found them. A few days ago, a dwarf named Valiador Glimmerax stumbled onto his property, starved and poisoned. This dwarf begged him to travel to Thangar to seek his fellow Dwarvarian. Harl is, of course, shocked by the news, but agrees that they must leave right away. While the rest of the party signs on for the excursion, Umura is forced to make a tough decision. Should she join her companions, or should she accept Imawan Essex's once-in-a-lifetime offer and move far, far away to the Kothic Empire to become her apprentice? The companions end up making her mind for her. Assuming that she would rather go to Koth, they bid her a quick farewell before she has even made a decision. They leave her behind and hit the road. Later that night, at a rest stop, located right beside the Thangarian shrine to Gruenmog, Umura catches up to the party. She has made a choice even if it did come a little late. In the morning, the group, led by Norum, continue on towards Knobs Creek. The Heflin explains that there is a quicker route that leads through a dangerous place known as Sourtongue's Bog. By chapter's end, we learn who, or rather what, Sourtongue is. In order to reach Valiador as quickly as possible, they will somehow need to get past a troll. Chapter 40, Part 1, Day 49, Afternoon. Party Status Norum, 16 of 16 hit points. Harl, 21 of 21. Eridine, 14 of 14. Gyrios, 27 of 27. Umura, 18 of 18. Spells available. Umura has memorized Light. Shield, Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds, times two, and Bless. Gyrios shared some of his earlier memories with Eridine as they followed the twisting road, lagging behind the others. I lived with Prior Imril in the Brotherhood of the Scroll for five years before I went to live in another similar place. Well, that's another story altogether. Now, Eridine, you will remember that of all of the rooms in the monastery, my favorite place was the Priory. <laughs> I can still remember when Brother Lem brought me there for the first time. Anyway, 
The Priory had more books and curiosities than you could count. I recall one book in particular. Its title was written in Old Common, De Trolloen. It means The Tormented. The rest of the book had been translated into our modern tongue, but it was the illumination, the pictures, that is, that captured my imagination as a child. The book was a bestiary of all known monsters, abominations, and demons. Of course, the validity of the content was dubious, but without a doubt, there was power in the illustrations. The pages were crowded with drawings, the stuff of nightmares, really. For some reason, Aradine, I felt a strange attraction to that book. I read it over and over. Sometimes I simply flipped the pages and allowed my fantasies to run amok. At night, the denizens of this tome would crawl out from under my bed to torment me. Well, what child is not kept awake at night by such visions and phantasms, hmm? Aradine smiled at him, her eyes bright. Anyway, I mention this because the book had an entry on trolls. Would you like to hear what it had to say about them? Eredin nodded slowly, equally eager and reluctant to learn more. The Parable of the Trolls The race of trolls is older than the race of men and even the dwarves. Some believe that the elves predate them, but none can be sure when the records are so fractured and incomplete. It is said that originally, the trolls were golden beings of lightness, grace, and beauty. They flew about the heavens on gossamer wings like dragonfly wings, serving food and wine to the gods. They were of the fae, the fairy folk, and they were among the favorites of the immortals. Most scholars agree that everything changed for the trolls one summer on the holiest day of the year, the solstice. The solstice is the longest day of the year and has the most daylight. For this reason, it is the most important day of prayer for the worshippers of Mazagar. Well, it was on this particular day that Mazagar came to his great and golden feasting hall to find it empty. There were no guests, no tables of food, no fountains of wine nothing. His servants had spent the previous evening in revelry, a little early celebration in anticipation of the holiday, and had slept right through their duties. In a rage, Mazagar descended into their camps and found them slumbering, curled up among each other atop their silken pillows. Their bellies were full, while his was empty. In his wrath, he cursed them. He tore off their delicate wings. He caused their countenances to melt like wax into grotesque forms, and they became a mockery of their former beauty. Worst of all, he cursed their blood so they could never be killed by violence or hunger. If their skin was opened, it would close of its own accord. Flesh, muscle, and bone would knit back together. In this way, they could not avoid his punishment by taking their own lives, nor could they waste away. Because they were horrible to look upon, they were cast out of the heavens. In the caves, and the forests, and the swamps, they spent their long, lonely, cursed lives in the darkness. Trolls could live a thousand years, and so their penitence was a very long one, indeed. There is only one way a troll can die before it has run its full life and paid its ancestors' full debt. It is by the grace of Mazagar's touch. Only fire can kill a troll. And if you ever meet one, 
you had best remember it. It is day 49, and today the ticking clock that counts down to the end of Valiador's life begins. I've already rolled to see how many days Valiador will last before the poison finishes him. Some listeners will already know the result of that roll. Others will have chosen to remain in the dark. In addition to ticking off the first of these boxes, so to speak, I also need to roll for weather and random encounters. Stumble upon will not be in effect so long as the party is traveling along established routes. Here are the rolls for day 49. Weather. A 15. It is a sweet and sunny early summer day. Wandering encounters. A 4. No wandering encounters. The day passes pleasantly, but for the feeling that time is slipping away, and the worry that starts to infect their thoughts and moods. Day 50. Another tick on Valiador's life clock. Weather. A 2. The clouds roll in overnight and brew up a storm. It is severe and lasts most of the day, but since I didn't roll a 1, the party doesn't need to stop. They soldier through. Norum complains bitterly the whole time, frequently wondering aloud why he agreed to go through all this for a withered old dwarf. Harl gets upset and begins to raise his voice, but Girio steps in and somehow manages to calm the dwarf. He placates Norum by giving him the flask of cheap whiskey they had once taken from a defeated mercenary. Wandering encounters. A one, no encounter. The storm passes in the early evening. Several hours later, the sun begins to set. The party, drenched and miserable, push on in the dark for a while, and then make camp at a spot where the road used to fork. The main road continues, but Norm indicates the lesser path is the one they will need to take if they insist on saving time. He still thinks it's a reckless idea, at least for the four of them. Even through the dark of night, they can still see that a white skull has been painted on a boulder that marks the fork in the road. There are some other marks too, graffiti of some kind. Umura suspects that it was made by goblins. Under the skull, an arrow made with the same white paint points down the secondary road. In truth, it is barely more than a dirt trail. It is overgrown and in obvious disuse. They make their camp here and continue to Sour Tongue's bog the next morning. If they make good time, they'll reach it by midday, which is their best chance to pass through while the troll is asleep. If all goes well, they will reach Knob's Creek by evening. At this point, I will mark a third tick on Valiador's life clock. Here are the rules for day 51. Weather. A six. The rains are gone, but the damp and the dark remain. It is a gloomy day, exactly the kind of weather you would expect for a trip to a place called Sour Tongue's Bog. As an encounter is all but inevitable, I will skip the wandering encounter roll for the day. In fact, I can't see any reason not to go ahead and roll right now to see whether or not old Sour Tongue will notice their presence. I'll rule that the chance for her to not notice them is very slim. I'll say 10%. Here's the roll. Hey gang, do you like role-playing games? Is D&D more than just an acronym for you? How about storytelling, card games, books, and other, air quotes, nerdy stuff? Then my friends, we have a show for you. Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And we host a show called The Goblin's Corner. At TTRPG, RPG, D&D, DM, slash GM, podcast dedicated to you, our VIP. A podcast for the role player with the discerning palette. Learn how to run a game. Or even what D&D or an RPG is. Whether you're a beginner 
or you've been playing this longer than we have, you can learn about storytelling, character development, running a campaign or a short game session, or just some useless stuff. We certainly excel at that. Come check us out at goblinscorner.com or you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. The Goblin's Corner. That's how we roll. 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 Chapter 40, Part 1. Day 51, Afternoon. Party Status. The party status is unchanged. Are you sure about this? asked Garius. He lifted a heavy boot, and it made a sucking sound as it came free of the muck. I'm sure, returned the dwarf. He was struggling to find his footing in the swamp as well. They all were. Well, everyone except for Norum, that is. The Heflin, perhaps due to his lightness, seemed much less affected by the difficult terrain. They often found him racing ahead and then waiting, impatient and nervous, while they caught up. The swamp was a natural basin where the mountains mellowed into the foothills. Rainwater, with nowhere to run off, had collected and stagnated here over the centuries. A pungent stink of organic rot hung in the air. It was gloomy, dark, and very humid. Knowing what lived here, somewhere, under the slime, made the place even more foreboding. Twisted trees, hunched and drooped, let their sagging branches dip into the waters. They tricked the eye, looking like hunchbacked giants. Girio slipped and fell hard on his knee. He grimaced, got back up, and pushed on, trying to stay quiet. He could have sworn that the swamp weeds were pulling him down, like they had a will of their own. Shh. It was Umura. Did you hear that? I didn't hear anything, replied Girios. Eridine? The young rogue nodded to show she had. Mazagar, defend us. We have been discovered. Umora, is it ready? Girios referred to the last of Eridine's oil bombs that he had been carrying since back in the Kingswood when they had ambushed the goblins. Truly, he was not unhappy to get the dangerous thing out of his pack. If it comes down to it, you must be quick. And you must miss, whispered the cleric. I won't miss, replied Umora, hoping her aim would match her conviction. She worried more about the humidity in the swamp. How long would a flame survive in a place like this? She decided that it was time to use the item in her other hand. It wasn't an oil bomb, but the Owl of Thresendia. Eltinok. Immediately, it became hot in her hand. Ow! Be ready. The troll is not far off. <laughs> I know you smell it, Come this way before, haven't you? They froze. I thought you said she mostly relies on her eyes, said Harl. Norm had a look of alarm on his face. I may have misjudged her, he replied, sliding free one of his bone-handled daggers. I think I'll make a necklace out of your little teeth. Won't that be pretty? <laughs> Where is that voice coming from? Exploding from the muck and rising to tower above them was a thing from a nightmare. Long hooked nose, a mouth crowded with sharp fangs. Its lumpy body was covered in bog slime and its filthy black hair clung to its rubbery skin like swamp weeds. 
Welcome to my home, pretty muscles. Tonight I'll be picking my teeth with your bones. Entering combat. Sourtongue is large, even for a troll. I've decided that she will min out at 75% of her maximum hit points, not 50. She is quick, strong, and a little bit insane. She has been aware of the party's presence almost immediately since they entered her domain. When I rolled for this earlier, I rolled a 12 on a d100. She almost didn't notice the party, but almost isn't good enough. For this reason, she cannot be surprised either. The party, since it has activated the Owl of Thresendia, also cannot be surprised. So this battle will begin with a straight initiative roll. A little about Sourtongue before we start. Trolls are fearsome. They have 6 plus 3 hit dice. Rolling 6 die 8. 25. And plus 3 is 28. Lucky for the party, she will min out at 75%, or 38 hit points. Trolls have an AC of 4. They get a multiple attack using Claw Claw Bite, which inflicts 1 to 6, 1 to 6, and 1 to 10 points of damage respectively. The regenerative powers of a troll work like this. Three rounds after taking damage, they will regenerate 3 hit points per round. This occurs even below 0 hit points. Only fire or acid can permanently destroy a troll. Sourtongue lives in a swamp for good reason. She knows that it's extremely hard to light and maintain a fire here. This is not the only advantage Sourtongue will enjoy while fighting on her own turf. The swamp itself is treacherous. It's easy to slip, lose your footing, or even get stuck in the mire. Mechanically, this will affect combat as follows. The party members will critically fail on a roll of 1 or 2 instead of just a 1. Finally, if things go poorly, the party will not easily escape. Their movement will be hindered by the muck and slime. Norum, who is lightweight and knows the way, is the only one who can move freely. Round 1. Initiative. Sourtongue. A 3. The party. A 4. Despite Sourtongue's attempt to unbalance them, the party members keep their footing and lash out at the troll. Before their modifiers, the party members will need a 14 to hit Sourtongue. Harl has a plus 1 bonus due to his strength. He attacks. A 13. He just misses. <laughs> now it is Gyrios' turn. Because they are already in melee, he cannot cast his new spell of Bless. He swings his flail instead. He's rolled a 5. The ball of his flail bounces harmlessly off Sourtongue's body. Next up is Aradine. She realizes that she will not have a chance to use her bow effectively and draws her sword, trying to flank the troll. Norim, for his turn, aims his throwing knife but needs to wait for an opportunity to use it. As for Umura, she wastes no time. She casts her spell of Light on the troll. Sourtongue will need to roll a 14 or better to save. She rolls a 4. Sourtongue is blinded and will now attack at a minus 4. She screeches hideously as the spell strikes her. Even blinded, Sourtongue is a vicious enemy. She'll be attacking a character at random since she can't see to choose. At the moment, only Harl and Gyrios are directly in front of her. On a low, she'll attack Harl. On a high, Gyrios. I've got a 7 on a d20. She'll attack Harl. She needs a 9 to hit him. She gets 3 attacks, all with a minus 4. Here are the rolls. A 12, a 15, and a 5. 
Sour Tongue has hit Harl with both of her claw attacks, rolling damage. A six. A two. A total of eight damage. Ooh, that's bad. Sour Tongue's huge hand knocks Harl off his feet and then pushes his head underwater. Harl's lungs fill with it. He squirms out of her grasp and gets to his feet, gasping and coughing hard. Round two. Initiative. Sour Tongue. A two. The party. Another two. Everyone clashes together at once. Because Sour Tongue is blind and cannot choose her target, she'll need to roll each round. Bad luck. It's going to be Harl again. Because this round is simultaneous, it doesn't really matter who I begin with. Let's start with Sour Tongue. She attacks Harl and she needs only a 9 to hit him. So even with her minus 4, he is in real danger. Her rolls. A 12. A 2. And a 5. There's one hit there with a the claw. Two more points to Harl. She swipes and clips him with a fingernail, drawing a red stripe across his cheek. Now it's Harl's turn to fight back. He'll need a 14 to hit. The roll. An 11. He's still weak from having inhaled so much water and misses. Gyrios makes his attack. A 14. That is just enough. The ball of his flail hits in the exact same place as it did before, but this time there is a cracking sound. Six damage. Sour Tongue is hurt for the first time, and she is down to 32 points. She cries out in pain. Erdine has drawn her sword. She swings it. She cannot get in close enough. The swamp is not allowing her to get good footing. Norim decides to risk throwing his dagger into the melee. His roll. It's only an eight. That's a miss. The bone-handled dagger misses its mark and flies off into the swamp, never to be seen again. Umura decides to spend her turn casting Shield on Eridine. She does so, and now the rogue's AC is improved to a three. Round three, initiative. Sour Tongue, a one, the party, a two. Norm transfers his second blade to his hand and tries to get behind the troll. He loses dex bonus to attack, but it's his only weapon now. Harl spits out the last of the swamp water and swings his axe. A 19, that's a solid hit. Four, five points of damage. Way to go, Harl. Gyrus is gonna try and hit the troll a second time. An 18, he's succeeded. Six points of damage. He cracks Sour Tongue across the knee with his flail. Sour Tongue now has 21 hit points remaining. Eridine's sword sings out. I've rolled a two. Eridine has gotten her foot caught in one of the weeds. Truly, the swamp seems to be conspiring against her. As per the rules I set up before this fight, Eridine will lose her next turn. Norim's turn. Norim's dagger flashes out. A six. His reach is too short and he can't get behind her. Umura, for her turn, pulls out her own dagger and takes aim. Now I need to roll at random to see who Sour Tongue will attack. Sour Tongue has four different opponents. Let's see, on a d4, Sour Tongue will attack Eridine. Because of the shield spell, Sour Tongue needs a 10 to hit. Her rolls, a 6, a 3, and a 15. That 15's gonna hit. The shield spell cannot stop the force of this monster. Five points to Eridine with a vicious bite on her shoulder. Our rogue is bleeding freely into the swamp waters now. Round four, initiative, Sour Tongue. A six, the party, 
a five. Rolling for Sourtongue's target. Sourtongue's new target is Norum. Although Norum would disagree, in a sense this is fortunate. Heflins have a two-point bonus to their armor class against any opponents larger than man-sized, and Sourtongue is eight feet tall. She turns around, enraged, and lunges at the Heflin. Even with Norum's special armor and his racial bonus, she only needs a 10 to hit him. Her rolls. A 15. An 11. A 4. Mercifully, she misses with the bite, but the troll crashes down on the Heflin, double raking him with both claws for... 9 points of damage. And in a single round, Norum is down to less than half of his hit points. Now it's the party's turn. Harl swings his axe. 17. Yes, Harl. Another six points, and Sourtongue is at 15 hit points now. That means she's also at less than half hit points, and she'll need to make a morale check at the end of the round. Next, Gyrios casts Cure Light Wounds on Harl for... Seven points, a good roll. Harl's back up to 20. Eridine, the rogue will miss her turn as she gets unstuck from the swamp weeds. Norm's turn, he tries to fight back. He's rolled a five, there's blood in his eyes and he just can't see. Umura decides to throw her dagger. A 17 for four points. Wow, way to go Umura. It's time to make that morale check for Sourtongue. The troll's morale is a 10. Here's the roll. A four. She is insane with fury and attacks with renewed bloodlust. I'll kill you all! Round five. Before their eyes and to their horror, the party watches as Sourtongue's flesh knits back together. The troll regenerates three hit points, bringing her back to 14. Initiative. Sourtongue. A two. The party. A three. Harl makes his attack. A 14 just makes it. Nine points! There's a flurry of axe blows. The last one hooks the troll's shoulder and yanks her down to her knees. As she struggles to get back up, Gyrios swings out with his flail. He's rolled a 15. Gyrios smashes her on the top of the head while she's low for... Five points. That's it. Sourtongue is down to zero, and this fight is over. Umura retrieves her dagger, and right away she can see that the troll's body has started to regenerate. The cuts and gashes caused by Harl's axe have already started to close and heal on their own. The troll's body twitches and spasms. Harl, still coughing and breathing hard, pulls swamp weeds from his beard and looks at the sorceress. Burn it. She does. Umura empties a flask of oil over the troll and, with shaking hands, strikes the flint. An ember lilts through the air and lands on the shuddering corpse. There's a whoosh, and a rank stench fills the air as an oily coil of smoke spirals up towards the sky, and the troll burns. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and you'd like to lend your support, there are many ways to do so. By far the best way is to leave a rating or review on Apple or iTunes or some other podcatcher of your choice. But there's other ways. You can retweet episode release announcements, or just mention the show on social media, or just tell a friend. Everything is very much appreciated. 
for show notes, random thoughts, maps, character sheets, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Please check out taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. I'm active on social media, so you can always find me there too. On Instagram, I'm at Tale of the Manticore Podcast, and on Twitter, at Manticore Tale. If you'd like to get in touch by email, that's okay too. Write to me at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I reply to everyone who writes in. The adventure will continue next time on Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you looking for a D&D campaign where character and story take a front seat? Where the world is vibrant and filled with life? And Casting Roles is the D&D campaign for you. Join us, a bunch of theater nerds, as we gather together each week to have some fun and play a game that we are passionate about and want to share with you. You can find us on Twitch at casting underscore roles, and you can catch up with Season 1 on our YouTube channel. So join us, and we can't wait to see you for Season 2.